United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. Another big-time show with big-time personalities. We kick off the show with Michelle O'Brien. She's the new head coach of the DePaul women's soccer team, where she's been a longtime assistant, but her story is amazing. She had two heart surgeries before she was 15 years old, still went on to be a star collegiate player and a big-time coach, and now, like I said, taking over the DePaul women's soccer team. Sticking in the Chicago area, Russell Payne, who was a great goalkeeper for Sasho Sarosky at Maryland, longtime assistant there. He spent 11 years at Army as their top man. He's the new head coach of the Northwestern men's soccer team, and he's on the show. And look, after eight games, the North Carolina Courage are right back where they usually are. They're in first place in the NWSL, and we spend not one but two segments with Paul Riley, the head coach of the North Carolina Courage. That's our show, and it all gets started after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to learn more. Team Snap is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. On July 2nd, 2021, longtime DePaul SID Bob Sakamoto wrote an incredible story about the newly named head coach of the DePaul women's soccer program named Michelle O'Brien. This headline reads, the heartfelt story of Michelle O'Brien, new DePaul coach overcame open heart surgeries at the ages of four and 14. Before we meet Michelle, I do want to read a few paragraphs of this story that again, just came out a few days ago, July 2nd. There's something you should know about new DePaul women's soccer coach, Michelle O'Brien, that defines a spirit and a soul undaunted by life's most harrowing challenges. O'Brien was an uncommonly gifted child who took up soccer at the age of three with the kind of speed, coordination, high motor, and skill set well beyond other children. During a routine exam for strep throat at the age of four, a pediatrician detected a heart murmur and referred Michelle's parents, Margaret and Michael, to a cardiologist. Their little girl was diagnosed with a rare congenital heart defect called coronary arterial fistula after being born with an extra artery that altered normal blood flow. The solution was open heart surgery. Margaret O'Brien said in a story on the WISK website, quote, I went numb. I could hear the doctor's voice, but his words were running together, and I felt as if I were on the outside looking in. My thoughts were focused on the chance I may lose my child, who I love more than life itself. My heart ached, and the fear was overwhelming, end quote. By the grace of God, who blesses seriously ill children with a courage born of pure innocence, little Michelle underwent a successful operation at the Heart Center of St. Francis Hospital on Long Island, New York, and her vital organ grew stronger with each passing year. In the fall of 1994, freshman soccer prodigy O'Brien led St. Anthony's of Huntington, New York to the state high school soccer championship. 
She also excelled on the school's basketball and badminton teams. After a strenuous game of floor hockey during a gym class in March, O'Brien experienced severe pain in her left arm and back. She could not lift her arms. Margaret O'Brien brought her daughter back to St. Francis where blood work revealed she had suffered a heart attack. The diagnosis disclosed that the closure from the heart surgery 10 years earlier had come undone, resulting in a pool of blood in her heart. Blood clots developed and the heart attack soon followed. That was just the tip of the iceberg. Doctors discovered that Michelle's case was literally one of a kind. No previous documented cases or any mention in medical journals. They consulted with cardiologists worldwide, desperately seeking a plan of action. The temporary fix was a medication called Coumadin to prevent further clotting. But any chance of returning to a normal active life mandated another open heart surgery. Quote, I thought I was in a movie watching someone else's life unfold in front of me, Margaret O'Brien told WISK, quote, the fear, anxiety, and the possibility of her not surviving were more than any mother could imagine. It's hard for me to even put it into words. All I could do was pray and wish that it was me instead of her, end quote. A second open heart surgery in 10 years was performed on May 24th, 1995, a seven hour ordeal. We're going to get into those surgeries and we're also going to get into the exciting news that Michelle O'Brien has overcome all of that and she is now the top head coach for DePaul women's soccer. Michelle, thank you so much for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Thanks for having me. Well, and your quote in the story says, and I'm quoting now, my memories of my surgery from when I was four years old are limited, Michelle said, and that's understandable. Most of the memories I have are stories my parents shared with me. You continue to say, quote, I do remember very clearly one day being in the hospital and waking up from a nap after my surgery and my mom was not there. She told the nurse she was going to grab a cup of coffee and she'd be back in 15 minutes. That feeling of my mom being away from me for just a short time sticks with me, quote, she was my rock. She stayed with me all day and all night in the hospital for the 10 days that I was there and never left except on that one occasion. My dad, Michael, would visit after work and neighbors and friends helped out with my older sister, Tara, who was six at the time. However, your memories of the second surgery are crystal clear. What can you share with us about the second surgery, coach? Yeah, well, um, you know, as you had already mentioned, I, I was in um, gym class in ninth grade playing floor hockey and I you know, had an overwhelming feeling in my body that just really didn't feel normal in any sense. It was a fatigue that is just something I had never experienced before. And my very good friend at the time really encouraged me to go to the school nurse because, you know, who wants to go to the school nurse? I said, I'm fine. I'm fine. And, you know, she really, she really pushed me to go. And, you know, fast forward, you know, my mom came to pick me up and knew right away that something was wrong took me to my doctor and kind of over 24 hours through a series of tests, that's when they discovered that the pooling had taken place in my heart and detected um, that a heart attack had occurred. And that was in March of my freshman year. You know, those two months were pretty, were pretty daunting while the doctors were just actually trying to figure out what to do, which was pretty terrifying in some sense, because you know, it was a life or death situation, but, you know, we had all the trust in them and believed in them and kind of just instilled our faith into, into that team of doctors. And then on May 24th, it was actually Memorial Day weekend where I should have been going to a soccer tournament with my club team. So I had a ton of support from, from friends and my teammates and the seven hour surgery 
went as good as it possibly could have gone. And I do remember, I remember everything about that. I remember waking up from it and I'm sure anyone who's been under anesthesia wakes up and they can't believe it's over. So I think it was a feeling of relief. And I said, is it done? And they said, yes, it's done. And I think I was more relieved that it was over and I was awake and, you know, they said everything went well. And then from there, it was just rehabilitation from there on out. Well, one of the things that I love that uh, you talk about, and obviously it's great that uh, your friend encouraged you to go to the, the nurse, but you talk about your mama bear, the kind of mom you don't mess with her kids and now her grandkids, she's a protector. But then you also talked about being a daddy's girl and anytime your dad would show up, it'd be incredible. And then also you had a pretty strong connection to Tara, who's just two years older than you and you guys were super competitive, but yet I'm sure close. Just talk about that network, that family network that got you through this. Yeah, my family's great. I think they're the right balance of pushing us and not letting us get away with too much and being disciplined, but so supportive and, you know, encouraging. And I think, you know, my dad's a hard worker and worked real hard in Manhattan for everything that he provided for our family. And, you know, I think those values are still instilled in me to this day. Um, And I, you know, I understood he did take time off of work when I was in the hospital, but you know, then he had to go to work and there was a train station right by the hospital um, in Port Washington. So a couple of stops from my house. So he would get off there, walk over to the hospital, spend the rest of the night there. And, um, you know, until it was time to go home and he, he would go home and go to bed. My mom would stay with me again. Even when I was 14, she stayed with me all night, you know, and that's how my mom is. She's, she's protective. She, there's nothing that can get in the way. She wouldn't put anything before her kids. And, you know, now she has four grandkids and, you know, they, they took a step up, but, um, (laughs) and, you know, and yeah, my daddy'd come every day and he's the kind of guy where he, you know, he tried to make light of a situation in a, in a way to kind of make a joke about something or do little gestures to, to show me, you know, that how much he cared and was thinking of me and walked down to the, to the shop downstairs and bring up an ice cream or bring in something from outside the hospital that he knew I really liked. And, you know, my sister at the time, she was a junior in high school during my second surgery. So she had, you know, her own life and she was doing, playing soccer and sports and, but, you know, always managed, always came to visit me and was always there for me. And she still is. She's, she's like another protector of me. They (laughs) always wants to see how I'm doing, even Last weekend, I was on a recruiting trip and it was real late at night. By the time I got to the hotel and I'm on the phone with her driving and, you know, she says, call me, make sure you call me as soon as you get in the room and the door's locked. And I think that's just the kind of relationship that we have and my family has. And I think we look after each other and, you know, that's the most important thing to us. Well, they're always going to check on you because they know that you're always going to push it. I mean, here you are, this 14 year old that had the heart attack, but one of the great things that, um, Bob writes about in this story is, you know, you had such an active childhood life that even after this second surgery, you started to work your way back. There is a little note on here that says, hey, athletes reading this, make sure you check with your coach before you start rollerblading and do other things, particularly 
after a heart attack, which I appreciate, but you started talking about walking and hopping up a fence and kind of working your way back. And, and then all of a sudden, as you're, you know, rehabbing with these 55 year old plus people that underwent a, a cardiac situation, you know, the nurses there were great and treated you great. They started to release you to go skiing and snowboarding. Talk about how far you made it back. Cause I I'm, I'm getting the feeling that you made it all the way back to being an outstanding soccer player at FIU. Yeah, I mean, I am a, I do push the boundaries. I'm not going to lie. Anyone that knows me knows that. I think anyone that grew up with me and family, friends, you know, I'd say I was mischievous, but not, I wasn't, a, I was a good kid, but I always pushed a little too far. And I still do. I think, I think that's just part of who I am. But yeah, right. When surgery was over, I think it was kind of a waiting game. Like, what are we going to do with her kind of thing? We've never seen this before. So it was always just waiting and I'm just didn't want to do the waiting. I felt, I felt strong after I got out of the hospital. I felt in a sense, I think sometimes having an organ internally operated on is difficult because you don't see, you know, the girls on my team who have ACLs or ankles or, you know, that physically have a cast, you can physically see the injury or I think internal is hard because you can't actually see it. So in my eyes, I was fine. I thought I can breathe and I can move and I'm good. I'm good to go. You know, I do have a, a scar on my chest, so that was always a reminder, but you don't, you, don't, you don't see that all the time. So for me, I was like, why, am, why can't I do anything? I feel good. So my best friend, Jody, who still is my best friend, she'd come over and we'd hang out every summer, and she's a little bit of a boundary pusher too. So we go out, play basketball, and think, well, we feel fine. She's like, you all right? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Any, no, I, I could keep going. All right, let's get the rollerblades out. So each kind of day my mom was at work we would my sister was home too in and out of I think she was lifeguarding at the time or some summer job but she would be part of it too and we would kind of just push it a little each day and you know it was kind of fun and <laughs> I guess risky but in our eyes we we thought we were doing the right thing um feel good yep feel great so yeah I mean every day we do a little bit more and more and then finally throughout that summer after I went back to a checkup kind of told the doctors yeah I've been doing some active stuff and said great we're going to start you on a cardiac rehabilitation program at the hospital and then I started that which again was with the older people and that was fine everybody was very supportive and nice and you know each day I got stronger and stronger. So great to be here with the new head coach of DePaul talking about her story of overcoming not one but two major heart surgeries and making her way back. I mean, next thing you know, you're teaming up with Mary O'Rourke and you're winning badminton doubles and advancing to state. And then clearly you got back on the soccer field because you went to FIU. Talk about that. Was there any trepidation with your parents saying, hey, it's okay for you to go ahead and play college soccer? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone was anxious, to be honest, especially right when I got clearance. And I think the biggest thing with the soccer and, you know, basketball was the contact sport and you know, how are you going to handle bruising to your body and where badminton was a non-contact. Um, so, you know, they kind of gradually pushed me, pushed me up. And, you know, I do remember that first day I got cleared for soccer. I was fine. I was like, great, here we go. Let's do this. But obviously being a parent and now I'm a parent, so I can definitely understand the, you know, the anxiety and the stress. And we had a great support system with my soccer club growing up and still family friends or best friends to this day and I think everyone thought I was treating me like their kid and 
was super anxious and emotional and proud. And then, you know, when college time came around, I think it had been, you know, two years and it was somewhat in the past for me, but really still only two years, but nothing ever got in my way. And I was always fit and strong and, you know, believed wholeheartedly that that is what helped me get to where I am and the player that I was and all the exercise and the, um, the wear and tear, I think is pushing the limits and that's how you get places. The player that she was is big time, two-time Sunbelt Conference Player of the Year at FIU, then an international standout, helping lead Ireland's national team to the European Championships. Michelle also played seven seasons in the United Soccer League's W League and played with the United Kingdom for the Arsenal Ladies Football Club. Arsenal, the most successful team in the UK at the time, competed in world-class events such as the European Cup and the FA Cup. She also played for the Long Island Rough Riders and with the New Jersey Sky Blue in the USL before retiring from competitive soccer in 2012. Now, you're the head coach. You were a longtime assistant at DePaul under Aaron Chastain, who remains a close friend. And I know you wish her well at her job at Minnesota, which is her alma mater, of course. But it's pretty clear here that when your athletic director, Dwayne Peavy, offered you the job, it took you all of five seconds to say yes. Can you talk about that and the excitement of sharing that with your husband, Blair, and your family? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's been about six or seven weeks now, and I, I think a lot changed. I think life is crazy in that way. You kind of have to be ready for anything, and it all happened so fast. And, you know, Aaron taking the Minnesota job, and, you know, I've wanted to be a head coach for a long time now, and I've had opportunities, and nothing really ever felt right, and my heart always brought me back to DePaul, and you know, I loved DePaul and I loved, had a great situation. Aaron was amazing and we had a great relationship and worked so well together. And, you know, I, I just stayed. And I think when Minnesota opened up and I felt in my heart she was going to get it because she deserved it. And so for me is when the wheels started turning, you know, and I knew she'd want me to go with her. And, you know, I thought about that and a lot went through my mind in a short period of time. But, you know, I want to be a head coach and I love DePaul and I believe in our program. You know, it just felt like the right decision for, for me to stay. In this same story about everything you've overcome, Bob Sakamoto also writes, a Michelle O'Brien coach side will be heavy on discipline, focus, and relentlessness. Watch for a playing style featuring a balance of possession and building from the back and goalkeeper combined with a fast-paced, gritty, ruthless attitude in the attacking third of the field. Can you elaborate on that style? Because it sounds pretty exciting to me, coach. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think, you know, the first characteristics are really define who I am. I think, I think I'm relentless. I think I'm a disciplined person. I think you have to be to be a high level athlete and to be a coach. I think the details are so important and I'm a detail oriented person. And I, I believe in, you know, on the field discipline and knowing your role and knowing that it's our staff's job to make that role very clear. I think off the field discipline is so important from just the little details of, you know, moving stuff, putting it back where you found it to taking care of your body and being in the best position to show up to training and be ready to go. And then just from an on the field perspective, I think the game is changing and I want to build, I want to play, I want to build from the back, but you know, I want to build with a purpose to, you know, find you're in the middle third. Can you, can you attack with speed? Can you get numbers in the box? I want, I want a mentality in the final third that I'm going to score. And, 
you know, we're going to have four or five numbers in the box and one of us will get on the end of it. And you know what, we might do that, you know, 10 times in the game and in that 88th minute, you know, who's going to be the hero. And that's the type of mentality that, that I believe in and that I was as a player. And, you know, that's what I want to see. And I think that's what the fans are going to see. Bob ties it all together toward the end of this amazing story that folks you can check out by going to the DePaul website under news for women's soccer. This story is, is brilliant. I read it a couple of times coach, but he says there's a good reason why Michelle O'Brien rarely seems flustered and can often be the epitome of grace under pressure. After you've come through such a hellacious childhood and confronted just about the worst life has to offer two heart surgeries, you have a perspective unlike any other. It's as if that same heart that was operated on twice now has twice the capacity when it comes to both enduring hardship and caring about other people. And I think you take that with you into this new job and also as a mom and a wife, I would assume. Yeah, I think I think I have compassion for for people and particularly the players, you know, that I coach. I think I think they go through a lot. I, you know, their age that they're at college or some prime years, they kind of, you know, they left home, they're away, they're kind of figuring everything out and getting ready for the real world. And I think it's such a big, important transition. And I want to be there to support them and help them feel ready to do all that. And I think that playing soccer and, you know, our staff recruiting them, it's my job to do that. And I, I want to do that. I think treating them as whole people is so important and understanding, you know, soccer is a piece of, of them, but then not to lower the standard in any way and to demand excellence and that will stay with them. And I know it will. And sometimes they don't realize that in the moment, but later in life, they'll all look back as all the alumni do and say, you know, wow, what an incredible experience and how much it taught me. And you know, the discipline and getting to work on time and being part of a team and something greater than yourself and working towards a common goal. I think those are all so valuable. And, you know, now I'm a mom. I have a, a five and a half year old daughter and an almost three year old son. So <laughs> I got my hands full and some days are hard to balance it all. But I think I'm a pretty even person. I don't think I get too emotional or too you know too high or too low I think I just kind of stay the course and try not to get too overwhelmed and worked up by things that are really not that big of a deal that'll all be fine and you know a couple of weeks it won't matter so that's kind of my perspective and then of course the things that do matter I think I do get you know I, I'm prideful about it I, I, I take my time I'm conscientious in my decision making and I think I just try to be balanced I think for me balance is key that's so well said. Once you've gone where Michelle O'Brien has been, you no longer sweat the small stuff and that balance will come in play. Let's end with this because there is one last detail that you wanted to share with Bob Sakamoto in this great article. And I'll read this quote and then get your reaction. This is you speaking, saying, I still visit my cardiologist from when I was 14 in New York every year or two for a checkup. You continued on. I'm now 41 and still have the same doctor. He was in the operating room during my surgery when I was 14. The same surgeon did both of my surgeries, and my surgeon is now retired, but he is a patient of my cardiologist, which is pretty cool. I just saw him in March, and my surgeon still asks about me and calls me an outlier quote because I really don't fit into any particular category. That's not bad to be an outlier when it comes to overcoming two major heart surgeries and a heart attack. And it also makes it easy for Bob to say, you indeed, Michelle O'Brien, you truly are one of a kind. Boy, that's incredible that you've stayed in touch with your cardiologist, but for good reason, right? The guy perhaps saved your life. 
Yeah, I mean, for me, that's been the hardest thing is I'm in Chicago now, obviously, and have kind of traveled around, but always find myself going back to New York for, you know, my roots are still there and visiting people. And that's, that's where he is. And I think just the file is so big to have to ever try to explain it to somebody else is just too difficult. And um, I think it's a source of comfort being there. I think knowing he, he knows me since I'm 14 and, you know, I can't do the math that great right now, 27 <laughs> years, but um, you, you know, it's a long time. And I think just having that connection and kind of walking in and being able to sort of joke around and him physically being there and as one of the, you know, doctors on staff while you know essentially was cut open I think is pretty cool so we have a great relationship and he's 65 now so every time I go I panic about when he's going to retire um, but he said he's got another 10 years in him so that's great <laughs> and um, the surgeon who did both my surgeries he's retired now but still sees my doctor and had just been in a couple of weeks before I had gone this past year and he said he asked about me and he, he, you know, he always asks, says, how's that O'Brien girl doing? You know, I think it's pretty fun that, you know, he still remembers that after performing probably hundreds and hundreds of surgeries over the years, but because it was such a unique situation, you know, it's only a handful that, that he can really remember as far as being that, that unique. So, you know, I, I love that. And I think it's really cool. That O'Brien girl is doing great, went on to a great college career, even a pro career, and now is the head coach with the DePaul women's soccer team. What a great story, Michelle O'Brien. Thank you so much for sharing it on the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. And I hope to have the great honor of meeting you perhaps at a convention down the road. Good luck to you taking over DePaul. All the best, okay? Thank you. Thanks, Dean. Thanks for having me. Michelle O'Brien, not the only new coach in the Chicago area. Russell Payne, a big-time goalkeeper at Maryland, who's had a nice ride, spent quite a few years at Army, is the new head coach of the Northwestern men's soccer team, replacing the retiring Tim Lenahan. We'll talk to Russell Payne, the new head coach of the Northwestern men's soccer team, when we return. This is Dean Linky again, and I wanted to take a moment to salute all of the great people that made this year's United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention such a great success. I had the great honor of serving as one of the hosts, and it was one of the best weeks in soccer I've ever had. With that, while the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention might be over, you can still get involved as we're just getting started. You can still register to receive access to all session recordings and the digital convention platform. Chat with your soccer coaching community and take in top level presentations from coaches around the globe, all at your own convenience. To register and receive access, visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. That's right, you can still register for the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention and have access to all of the amazing presentations. I hope you can take advantage of the special offer. And again, visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, where we will talk to another new D1 coach in the Chicago area. We started with DePaul's new women's soccer coach, Michelle O'Brien, and now we move down Lake Michigan to Evanston where Russell Payne was named the Northwestern head men's soccer coach in early May after 11 seasons as head coach at Army West Point. Russell Payne has developed talent at the highest level, serving as the U.S. men's national team goalkeepers coach from 2015 to 17 and as a current assistant and goalkeepers coach for four youth national programs. 
A top flight recruiter in the college soccer community, Payne signed two classes ranked among the top 25 nationally over the past five years. Before coming to West Point, Payne was an assistant at his alma mater, Maryland, for five seasons under renowned head coach Sasso Swarovski. In his time on the sidelines in College Park, the Terrapins won two national championships in 2005 and 2008 and compiled the best five-year win total in program history, 83 wins en route to five straight NCAA tournament appearances. Payne also has coached internationally with the U.S. Soccer Federation. Under Jurgen Klinsmann, Russell Payne was the goalkeeper's coach of the senior men's national team during the 2015 CONCACAF Gold Cup and the 2016 Copa America Centenario. And prior to his time with the senior team, Payne was an assistant coach and goalkeeper's coach of the U.S. U-20 men's team during two U-20 World Cups in 2013 and 2015. Since 2017, Payne has been an assistant coach and goalkeeper's coach for the U14, U15, and U19 boys national teams and the U15 girls national team. And before coaching, Payne had a prolific international and domestic career playing in Germany, Ireland, and the Netherlands, as well as with New York, New Jersey, Colorado, and DC United in Major League Soccer. The highlight came in 2002 when he was named the Premier League of Ireland Goalkeeper of the Year during his second season. Payne also enjoyed a successful college playing career at Maryland from 93 to 96 as a four-year starter between the goalposts. Payne and his wife, Vanessa, come to Evanston with their daughter, Harper Elizabeth, and son, Kellen James. And Russell Payne returns to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Russell, welcome to the Big Ten. Welcome to Northwestern. Hey, Dean. Good to, uh, good to be back on with you, man. This is awesome, and I appreciate you having me on. You already look good in the purple as well. How's it flowing with the purple, my man? Oh, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. It's great. I, I, uh, I thought from my colleagues that they were going to give me some stick wearing all the purple that I do, but uh, it seems to work well. So I'm, I'm, I'm going with it. <laughs> all right. I do want to point out when you played and even when you coached at Maryland, they were in the ACC since they've moved to the Big Ten. So I'm sure Sasho is super excited about you joining the Big Ten. Can you just put into words his level of excitement? Because I know you learned a lot from Sasho. Yeah, of course. I mean, Sasha's been a mentor, a friend, and now a colleague for years. And so it's exciting to be back with him. You know, obviously we've kept in touch over the years and talk all the time. So he's welcomed me with open arms to the to the conference. And, you know, finally we get a chance to bounce things off of each other in, in conference and, and go up against each other. We play uh, in College Park on October 8th. So I've already got a circle on my, on my calendar. Can't wait to be back in the uh, the friendly confines of Ludwig Field. <laughs> yeah, friendly indeed. You know, there's going to be a great crowd for there, and I bet a lot of your friends are going to come. That'll be a special moment for you, won't it? It will. It will be. It'll be surreal. I mean, I, you know, I, I've been back to games over the years, but it'll be the first time actually really competing against, you know, my alma mater in a, uh, in a regular season game. And, and I know the goalposts are still up around the field from the national championships with all the names on them and all that stuff. So it'll be pretty special. And hey, listen, we'll be, we'll be going there to win the game and to make a name for ourselves. So it should be fun. Yeah. Before we talk about your great facilities at Northwestern, what do you remember about being on the bench for those two national championships at Maryland? Because that's the creme de la creme. That's what you're playing for right there. And you got two of them as an assistant coach under Sasho. I remember, you know, very distinctly, it was really the, the, the lead up to those, to those championships, you know, what it takes for a team to really, to come together and believe and to persevere and to just be persistent 
that's what I remember the most. And those, those, those teams were very, very, very good at that. And, you know, obviously Sasha is, is a big part of that. He leads the way and every day is a, is a, is an adventure, is a challenge. And it isn't, it, there's an excitement to every day when you work in that environment. And, you know, that's what, that's what I'm bringing here to, uh, to Northwestern, but you have to learn that kind of behavior. It has to become a habit. And I just remember, you know, the players every day, just, understanding that hey like we've got to we've got to win these moments every day we've got to be better every day there's always going to be a challenge and we've got to step up and win it and so so you know you, you got to a game and all of a sudden the guy is out and the next time you know two games later somebody else is out somebody else has got to step up and there's a tough call you got to overcome you're down a goal you got to overcome it nothing that other programs don't go through but when you really get a collective mentality around hey nothing's going to stop us then you have a chance to win those things and I remember we had that and that's that's why we got to where we where we were Real quick, one special player on that team that I have got to know really well. He calls some games with me, and I didn't realize that he was kind of a preferred walk-on, and he now left as Maryland's all-time leading goal scorer. But you got to see the work ethic of Jason Gary. It makes a difference, right? Sometimes God doesn't give you everything. He made the most of it, did he not? Oh, he did. He did it in, in spades. I mean, that that young man, or I mean, just young man, like the guy's in his thirties now, uh, Jason, what a special guy. It's one of the things I've actually learned just in my time from, from Maryland to, to being at West Point over the years and with the national team is oftentimes your, your top performers have a, have a sense of humility to them and a groundedness to them that allows them to take each, each moment for what it really is worth and, and grasp it and, 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 and learn. And Jason just, I tell you what, he was so humble as a goal scorer. I mean, scoring 25 goals, I think it was his senior year, but he didn't walk around like, you know, you couldn't teach him anything. He couldn't learn anything or that, you know, he was the one that was just kind of anointed and delivered. And that happens a lot of times with goal scorers. Right. And, and Jason was exactly the opposite. He was humble. His work ethic is what defined him. He knew that in the box is where he was special and outside of the box, he kept the game as simple as possible. We played into him, you play out of him, you know, and he would press and he would chase and he was dogged and he always honored the player that passed him the ball, you know, to, to get the goal. And, and those are just, those are timeless qualities that, uh, that all strikers that, that I hope the coach will have. And I say his name because look, you're going to get a lot of talented players. You're going to get a lot of super smart players. And he actually turned out to do okay in school as well. And Tremendous. he's made a great career managing money, which I'm super proud of him, but you're going to be looking for those, those kind of players, right. That give everything in the classroom and on the field. You just said a couple magic words there, Dean, and that's give everything. It's just so important at this stage of, the, of, of, of these young men's lives because they're learning how to do that. And we're trying to really give them perspective on why that's important. And so having, having a sense of, of pursuing excellence in all areas is 100% what we're looking for, what I'm looking for within this program, what our coaching staff will really hope to cultivate within the players. And, you know, Jason Gary was a perfect definition of that, a young man that in the classroom gave everything and, and pursued excellence on the field, his fitness, his touch, his scoring touch, his ability to be a great teammate, to be a great leader, to be a great follower when he needed to, and then to represent the team in the community. I mean, those are all qualities that are that are 100% going to be on display here at Northwestern. That's what we talked to the recruits about already. That's what we talked to the current players about. But like I said before, those are, those are not always characteristics that they show up with chiseled and, and ready with. They have to, we have to cultivate that and we have to make them understand why that's important. One place to cultivate it is the incredible facilities at Northwestern. Yes, it's turf, and you'll get used to that for sure, Russell, but the facilities are out of this world. I mean, they are rock star facilities, are they not? I would say two words, world-class, right? I mean, you, you just can't get around that. I would say 
any professional player in the world would come here and look at this and go, wow, I wish our organization had this. I've, I've had a chance to visit plenty of professional organizations all over the world. And I tell you, this is tops. What we have in terms of what we provide for the athletes in terms of, you know, our restaurant in-house here, you know, in the athletic facility, our, our indoor field, which is, you know, sits on Lake Michigan, you know, 120 yards of glass overlooking at our beach for the athletes here, for the student athletes. Our locker rooms are first class. Our, our locker rooms are so big that we could do our warm up in the locker room, which I love <laughs> because we did that, you know, we did that a few times on the national team. I, one of my favorite stories was when we were playing Columbia and uh, in the Copa America first game and, and, and uh, the Colombians stayed in the locker room and warmed up the whole time. <laughs> We never even came out to the field and we warmed up on the field. It was 105 degrees at Levi Stadium. And then we ended up losing the game. We were like, where were you guys? And they were like, the locker room was so big. We just warmed up in the locker room. It was great. So I tell that story all the time because it just goes to show you, hey, man, just make the most of what you got. So we've got a locker room that's big enough to warm up in. We've got um, anything that you would need to be a great athlete. There's nothing that lacks, not one thing. Look, it's important that your family is with you. Can you tell me how Vanessa is feeling about the move? That's, of course, your beautiful bride. And then also your daughter, Harper, and your son, Kellen. How are they feeling about moving to Evanston? Oh, they're, they're, they're loving the transition. I mean, we, for them to go to a place where all of a sudden you can go to the beach in the summer and we don't have to drive down to my, my parents' house. They live in Hilton Head, South Carolina. <laughs> they're just going to the beach right now every day and hanging out. Water's a little cooler than, uh, than it is kind of down there in the South Atlantic, but, but it's wonderful. They're loving it. They, you know, there's, there's, there's soccer teams in the community. My son also plays hockey, so he's into that, and hockey's everywhere. You know, the school has wrapped its arms around him. I think that's the biggest thing. So there's a really wonderful community of coaches and, and, and folks on campus here and all the different departments that, have, that welcome you. Because, you know, one of the great things about this school is, you know, we're in, this, we're in this massive conference, the Big Ten, but we're the smallest population school in the Big Ten, right? We're 8,000 students. Um, so you're not just another number. You, you are part of something where people know you and, and, and really welcome you, and they, they get a real sense of village and community here. And I think the next biggest Big Ten school is like Iowa, which is like 30,000. So, so when you come here, you know, folks really embrace you. I mean, I was, <laughs> I was joking the other day. I was talking to one of my kids' youth team coaches with the team they're going to join, and we just moved to this community. And they said, yeah, everybody's excited that you're here. And I'm like, who's everybody? I haven't even met all these people yet. And, and like, you know, three streets over, they're all talking about the fact that, you know, hey, the soccer coach is here and this, you know, Northwestern and blah, blah, blah. So it, it's just, it's really cool. You know, and we're just outside downtown. I mean, we're 10 miles from downtown Chicago. So we shoot in and out of the city now all the time. It's a little different than trying to get in and out of New York City, right? So uh, there's a lot of really wonderful things about this, this area. Spending time with Russell Payne, the new top man at Northwestern. And Russell, you know the names already. Todd Yagley, Brian Mazinoff, Jeff Cook, Jim McKeldry, John Trask, and the list goes on. Sasha Swarovski, we already talked about. Uh, there's some big-time coaches in the Big Ten that I'm sure you have some strong relationships with. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, the Indiana connection is very strong in the Big Ten with, you know, with Mays and, and, and Trask and, and Yeggs and all the guys. And um, fortunately, I've known those guys for, for quite a while. And, and they're all great coaches. There's some really good challenges. You know, we're all competing for the highest level kids in the country. We're all, you know, looking at certain international kids and everybody tactically is a little different, which is great. You know, it brings good challenges there. Um, but it's also a group of guys that, um, from from my experience and just getting to know them as well, that, you know, after the game is over, the game's over. And um, and you can sit down, and you can talk the game, you can talk about your families. And we've had a few conference calls already. And, and hey, I, I just, I look forward to the fall getting, getting going. 
One coach that I saved as well, of course, Damon Renzi. I mean, I love them all, but you know, Shaka Daly was super happy for you. Obviously when the George Floyd incident happened, I had a lot of black coaches on and definitely let them tell their stories. And it made sure that none of us are naive to the fact that uh, we got to continue to fight the good fight and eliminate racism and be about love and respect and, and mean it Russell. So for us, we're super excited as well to have you as another African-American as a head coach. I know at the end of the day, you're just a head coach, but that's a responsibility that you take seriously as well, correct? Uh, of course. I mean, you know, I, I think you look no further than the, than the folks that had it, that you were blessed to be mentored by, you know, and, and, you know, when I got into playing, obviously there was not a, um, a high number of, of African-American coaches, but I was lucky that Lincoln Phillips was a, uh, was a coach in, in the community. I grew up in Columbia, Maryland. You know, he was at Howard University prior to that. He had five sons. Uh, his youngest son and I were like best friends growing up, Derek Phillips. And, and so Lincoln taught me the game, you know, at a young age. Dave Nesbitt is also a name in the local Howard County area. Um, you know, his son, Matt Nesbitt, was a youth national team player. I mean, there was a tremendous number of, of African-American youth national team players coming out of my area. Dante Washington, right? Uh, Hamisi Amanidov, Desmond Armstrong. I mean, the list goes on. Todd Haskins, there were so many high-level players. And, you know, but we, we, we all, we, we still connect and, and talk and there wasn't that many coaches that looked like us. So we've all been fortunate to be mentored early on and know what it means to reach back. And so having a chance to, to help players, players of all backgrounds, right? But also give an outlet to players African-American young players who, you know, haven't had a lot of African-American coaches to say, hey, I, you know, I, I get where you're coming from. I, I'm, I'm here to help you with whatever perspectives you have. Uh, your background matters to us. You know, the background of all these young men adds to adds to the, the level of care and, and respect and, and understanding within a team. And when you get all those things right, you can sharpen each other. That's really what it takes. And so when you have all these experiences, whether they're shared experiences, whether they're varied experiences, that's going to add to the richness, richness of your group. And, and really being connected socially is so important. You know, we can't act like the things that go around in our community don't affect our locker rooms. And so having a voice, giving a voice, letting folks know that, hey, there was times when I was growing up that I, you know, I, I wasn't sure who I could talk to in some of the locker rooms I was in, you know, and, and internationally, that was always a challenge, right? So yes, I'm, I'm with you, Dana. I, I love the work that you've been doing. I'm, I'm glad you know, all of our voices are being heard and we can share our experiences because um, ultimately it gives us a better chance to mentor the young athletes that we're in charge of every day. Phenomenal answer as we wrap up our time with Russell Payne. How hard is it to set ex expectations for the first year? Because you're, you know, you're coming in a little cold, right? You got to get to know your team. You got to recruit really hard right away. How do you set expectations for that first year, Russell? You know, I, I think we set them on from a standpoint of every day we have to be ready to meet the tests that are in front of us. Right. And so have we on, on a very, very micro level, have we prepared ourselves from a rest recovery, nutrition, commitment standpoint, have we prepared ourselves from a tactical standpoint to do the best we can. Have we prepared ourselves in terms of how we provide to be great teammates, great leaders, are we doing the best things in our community to represent our program every day? And if we're doing all those things, all those things, right, how we play and how we represent ourselves is more important than who we play, you know? And so, cause we know, we know we're going to challenge, we're going to be faced with some very, really good challenges in conference and out of conference, but we're going to spend most of our time worrying about ourselves. You know, that's where we're going to spend most of our time. And, and my job, my coaching staff's job is to make sure we prepare our, co our, our players with an idea of what our opponents are going to look like. 
but we're really going to focus on our principles every day, you know, and our expectations are if we get our principles right and we are the best at our principles, we give ourselves a chance to be successful in every game. And if that success ends up being a bunch of goals and no goals against great, if it means that we're in games and they're tight, great. If it means a championship, great. If it means we've built something, but we're not quite championship level yet, then, then that's where we are. And I think if we can continue to do those things as we add talent to the program and, and the players who are in the program are reinvigorated and, and are, are putting themselves out there to, to help each other, then, then we could have a really, uh, a really good time this coming fall. Enjoy ourselves. This is the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Can you put into words what the United Soccer Coaches has meant to you over the years, Russell? Of course. I mean, this is the foundation that we all are able to go off onto the soccer universe and to the soccer landscape and work from. I mean, we've got, you know, the strongest collection of, of coaches at every level uh, and soccer people connected every level than any country in the world. And so to have that foundation, have that platform, to know that we're doing things right, to know that, you know, we're in a constant state of learning in this country, but we know who we are, I think is really important. So, you know, United Soccer Coaches has has been, you know, a, a, a supporter of, of youth soccer. I, back in my days when I was coming through high school and, and, and before that, and now as a coach, it's really great to have that foundation of learning that we can have through education, through back in the college game, through back in the youth game, to grassroots. So, you know, love the work that, that, that the association continues to do and bring in great people. And thank you, Dean, for, uh, for keeping it going, giving us all a voice, man. Well, I appreciate that. And I will tell you this, I'm going to go ahead and embarrass you because I'm already going to put it out there that without question and with all due respect to Todd and Brian and Damon and Shaka and Jim and Jeff and John and whoever else I'm missing, you are now the best looking man in Big Ten men's soccer, Russell. So that's going to be uh, part of your uh, resume as well. So you're bringing those good looks and that great brain. Congratulations on all you do, Russell. Love having you in the Big Ten. You're killing me, Dean. Thanks, though. I appreciate it, man. <laughs> All right. Russell Payne will be back with Paul Riley, the top man of the North Carolina Courage. Hello, college coaches. This is Dean Linky with a special reminder. Registration is now open for the United Soccer Coaches College Services Program. Registered programs have access to a variety of benefits, including eligibility for awards and rankings, individual membership discounts, a dedicated liaison working on your behalf with organizations like the NCAA, NAIA, NJCAA, and so much more. United Soccer Coaches helps you develop your entire coaching game the way you help your student athletes grow as people. For more information or to register, please visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash college. Looking for ways to improve your training session? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for more than 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential to every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to elevate your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Now it's my great honor to welcome in the top man for the North Carolina Courage. He's got a lot of championships. He's got a lot of wins. We're talking about Sir Paul Riley. Paul Riley, welcome to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Thanks, Dean. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing great, and I'm certainly yeah. enjoying watching your team. You've won four in a row through eight games. You're all alone now in first place as the Olympic players leave. That's a pretty good place to be, Coach. Yeah, I mean, we didn't expect it. i got to be honest with you. I thought... It would take us a long time to really get ourselves together, losing players like Crystal Dunn, Jalen Hinkle, uh, Abby Dalcamper, and obviously Sam Mewis at the time. And I thought it would take us, it's definitely a, a, a project 
Uh, there's going to take a little bit of time. But I feel like we've just started to ink up a little bit in the thermometer. They're a little bit better in a lot of departments than we were maybe a month ago, six weeks ago. And find a better blend, I think, which has taken me a little bit of time. So I have to take full responsibility. I feel like uh, you know, maybe I was forcing things a little bit early in the season. I feel like now we're starting to find a good blend for Sully a good partner for Kiwi and just areas of the field, I think we're improving. So yeah, it's nice to be top. We didn't expect to be top. We thought we'd be honestly six, seventh, eighth, you know, hanging around that for most of the season and, and obviously losing our players uh, to the Olympics just when we're starting to find a bit of rhythm. It's not the best in the world, but it is what it is. And we're used to doing it. And I think it will allow people like Haley Mace and Kristen Hamilton, Kyra Caro, Mary Speck, you know, to pick themselves and get themselves a bit more time and, and do well, just like Angler James has done well. And, just like some others have done really well since they've come in. Yeah, if we back up that bus, I mean, you think about losing Jalen Daniels, arguably the best left back, losing Crystal Dunn, losing Daw Kemper, you know, losing Mewis for quite some time. I mean, it was going to take some time, wasn't it, to gel a little bit? Yeah, I mean, they're massive pieces. They're almost irreplaceable. I mean, Carson Pickett's done an unbelievably good job trying to replace Jalen Hinkle or Daniels. I mean, it's just almost impossible. And Crystal Dunn is impossible impossible to replace in the midfield for us. I mean, she's not the best left back in the world. I always say she's the second best left back in the world, but she's one hell of a midfield and she scores goals and she gets in dangerous areas and she creates havoc. And yeah, that was the biggest problem for us was creating. And obviously getting Sam back, we pushed Sam up one one line and that helped us in the 10 with the Binia. And so I'm pretty happy the way Sam starts to get fit now and, and, and get into that role. So that's good for us, I think. And yeah, so that was just, that was kind of replaced the back line, Kaylee Kurtz. You got to give her credit. You know, she came in, she's leaner, meaner, and she's firing on all cylinders right now, settled in the position really well. And uh, obviously we lose Abby Ezig next week to the Olympics. So they'll give Diane Caldwell a chance to, to settle back in again. And we've been giving them both time, to be honest with you, because you know that they're going to have to play together for probably two, three weeks, maybe four or five games. So I'm hoping that that she will be able to use that game time that we gave her early in the season uh, to her best. And Kaylee Kurtz, you gotta you gotta give her credit. Honestly, she's improved so much technically. She's tougher. Uh, she's stronger. Her, her positional sense is better. She understands the league a little bit better. I think some of it when you're playing centre back is knowing the players you're playing against, knowing what Carly Lloyd's going to do, uh, and people like Alex Morgan are going to do. And I think sometimes when you don't play a lot in the league. You just don't know that. You don't know that they're always going to go left, always go right, or they're going to start to step, or they're going to run behind you and not check in for a ball. I think there are things that you really need to learn. I think Kaylee Kurtz is on that learning curve. It's a quick curve, but she's done fantastic. And I can feel a different Kaylee Kurtz around the locker room. And, and I feel like a lot of the players would say that in, in general. I think a lot of them have been picking up 5 6% from where we were in preseason. And, you know, preseason was difficult. I think people forget we're used to six to eight college games and we had zero college games this year. So we had no preseason games. So we used the Challenge Cup and certainly the first part of the season to really get some, you know, to work on certain things functionally and obviously tactically to make sure that we had the right people in the right positions. And it took me a while, i got to be honest with you. So I take full responsibility for the poor results early in the season. And uh, now I feel like we're on the on a good on a good measure and going up the right way and going up the ladder the right way. So hopefully we can continue to improve. Well, really, Paul, nothing's been normal the last year and a half. And by your standards, and I know that you'll tip your hat to the Challenge Cup winners, but for you, it's about the shield and it's about the regular postseason. And finally, even though it's an Olympic year, you've also been able to manage that. You figured that out during the World Cup year in 2019. This is the kind of season you're all about, right, Paul? Yeah, I mean, it's a great challenge, isn't it? You know, you've you got to bring players in and you got to get them perform at the highest level they can in a short period of time. And uh, that was good for preseason, obviously, with 14 weeks almost of preseason. So I feel like our fitness level is good. And um, I think 
we're in a good moment. I think Sam, what Sam Mewis did for us was she brought us something different. She brought us happiness and she's, she's so great in the locker room. She's so great on the field and her leadership, I think, did a lot for our team. So I think, yeah, I told Sam when she left the day she walked out the locker room to go with the U.S. and said, you've helped us enormously, not just what you've done on the field, but more what you've done off the field and what you've done for the spirit of the group. And I feel like we have that spirit now. So, and that's good. That's going back to, you know, three, four years ago, we have a great culture in the club and uh, we call it a driveway to driveway culture where no, not one second's wasted during a day, not one second's wasted during a week. It's important. It's 24 seven and you live it from driveway to driveway and uh, everything's important if you want to be a top player. And when those players leave, these players come in and need to step up and need to get the job done. And the whole idea of having a, a great squad is so we, we can do this, you know. So I'm excited to see some of them like Kristen Hamilton do really well. Haley Mace particularly, I think she's ready to go. You know, she scored a couple of goals early in the season. I feel like if we give her more time, she'll score more goals. And obviously with Lynn Williams gone, that'll be a great replacement for it. So I feel like we're equipped to do it. It's a great challenge for the staff, obviously preparing, because there are some teams that don't lose a lot of players. And there are some teams like ourselves that lose, that lose not a massive number of players, but obviously massively key players. And that they're such a big part of our group and such a big part of our team and how we play uh, in, the, in the setup that we have in, in the 4-2-2-2. So I'm excited for it. And obviously we're going away on the road again to Washington this weekend. So it's another tricky one. And they haven't lost a ton of players, to be perfectly honest with you. They've got most of their team intact. So it'll be a huge test for us. Uh, but it's nice to be where we are, to have the amount of points we have at this point. But I mean... We're only halfway through the season. It's a long way to go. And games-wise, we're only a third of the way through the season. So I feel like a long, long way to go. And I don't think you'll see us. I don't want to certainly peak until September, October, November. That's a true test, I think. And Challenge Cup is Challenge Cup. You know, we worked on a couple of things. Challenge Cup, we didn't get it done in the end. And congrats to Portland. But it is about the Shield for me. To me, the Shield is the true test of the best team in the league. And they always say the league never lies. Well, it never does lie at the end of the season. I think just about every season so far, uh, since I've been coaching the league, the best team has won the, the has won the league, and not always wins the championship, but certainly wins the regular season. And that's the most important part. Listen, there's six teams against the playoffs this year, so anything can happen, as you know. And uh, I just worry about the regular season. That's the number one priority for us: is doing well in the regular season. Quick question before we take our first break with the great Paul Riley, arguably one of the best coaches of the women's pro game you're ever going to find. How important is it to make sure you do get some points? Maybe they don't always have to be three points that you do get some points during this Olympic break. Yeah, I think some of that's making sure the other team doesn't get three points too, you know, uh, because there are some teams that, you know, are fully loaded like uh, Louisville. Uh, they don't have any players going away. And if they pick up three points off all these games and put themselves in a strong position from it, you know, so I think it's important we take points off other teams at this point. And yeah, we might be top of the league, but I wouldn't say that we're our top of the league team right now. I think it's a, there's, there's, there's a, not much space between first and probably eighth, you know, so I think it's pretty tight. It's a parity league, as we all know. And I think picking up points, whatever they might be, one, like you said, sometimes three, hopefully that'll be more threes than zeros. Uh, but we just got to avoid big losses and silly losses. And you know, I feel like that's what we did in the Challenge Cup. We gave the ball away a lot in good areas. And I think we've improved our build. We've improved the middle third of the field. There were two areas that we really needed to improve. And we're not giving stupid goals away, which we were in the season. And I think if we can keep that going and keep the clean sheet going, Casey Murphy didn't get called up. So that's massive for us. She was big at the weekend. You know, she's, that ball goes in the box when there's nothing like my heart stops murmuring when I see her coming out for it because she's six foot four and man, she can jump. And yeah, she's fantastic in the air and on set pieces and deliveries. I mean, she's really good. So that we have obviously huge improvements to make, but satisfied where we are. 
Challenge Cup all included. I think uh, we could have done better in the Challenge Cup. We certainly could have had a better early in the season if I'd have done a better job. But now it's about, obviously, the, the longevity of the season and making sure that we, we, we peak at the right time and making sure we pick points up along the way. And I don't think we'll be top by the end of the Olympic break, I'll be honest with you. But I think if as long as we're in the, in the hunt, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh, somewhere in there, I think we can give it a run. Great with Paul Riley, the top man in North Carolina Courage. We'll be right back with the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. United Soccer Coaches' advanced diplomas have long been regarded as an excellent way to expand your coaching knowledge, advance your career, and improve your player's development. Now, with our blended format that incorporates online and in-person learning, coaches with ever-demanding schedules can earn their diploma in the most time-friendly way possible. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash advanced-diplomas for more information. Welcome back. So pleased to be joined by Paul Riley, our final segment of the day. And then we're going to do some rapid fire stuff with Paul. And Paul, first, I do want to start with a little bit of me being naive. And I think maybe you knew this already. I didn't know it, but I've been calling some other NWSL games, Paul. And I kind of live in this little rainbow world of utopia. And I thought everybody loved the North Carolina Courage. Guess what, Paul? That is not the case. Not everybody loves the North Carolina Courage. How long have you known that? And I'll tell you what, man, it is rough out there, by the way. It is rough. But I still think they hate Portland more than they hate us, you know, which is always <laughs> But, you know, you want rivalries. I think the one thing missing in women's sports, and I'm big on this, is rivalries and obnoxious fans and, you know, fan rivalries. And when you go to Portland, man, they're, they're tough. You know, they are tough on you. And I like that. I, I feel like it's okay coaches hating us, you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and I'm fine with that. I don't mind being the hated uh, team and the hated ones. But I think when you bring players in and uh, from other, other clubs and they come in, they do tell you, what the other clubs think about you. So you do get to learn quite a bit. And obviously we have quite a bit of few changes this year. So yeah, there's been a few conversations with players that other, other teams are not so happy with our club. But hey, we just keep on plugging along and trying to improve. And the better they are, the better we'll be. So I hope they keep plugging along as well. And, you know, I like rivalries. I like fan bases. I like a little bit of banter. I like, I like that stuff. That's good for the game, I think. Well, certainly I'm experiencing that. And I love that take on it. All right, let's talk about the Olympics. Obviously, you know, Sam Mewis is going to be a key player. It's really kind of cool that her sister is also there. I was impressed with the way she played in that first game against Mexico because she does a few things a little different than Rose Lavelle, who's also fantastic. So Vlatko's got plenty of options. But here you go with Lynn Williams. She's really rolling now. How excited are you about the fact that it's no longer 18 plus the four, it's 22. Will that mean anything for Lynn in your mind, Paul? Or do you think it'll still mean yeah. she'll be on the outside looking in? I mean, I told Vladko, if he told Lynn that she was in the uh, 22 six weeks ago, we might be six points clear by this point, you know, because <laughs> she's been flying since she got the news. And I think she settled down. She's relaxed a little bit. You can have all the conversations in the world about not worrying about it. She said all the right things to me before games. But at the end of the day, she's a young player and, you know, she wants to be in the 18. And, and now she's got a chance with the 22, the way that it looks like it's going to get defined for the Olympics. And I think that's great for her. And listen, there's nobody to bring on better for Vladko than 10, 15 minutes left, Lynn Williams. Man, if I was on the other team, I'd be like, oh boy, here we go. Got Lynn Williams warming up. You got Tobin Heath warming up. Or you've got Alex Morgan warming up. I mean, good grief. You'd be like, man, we just got through the first 80 minutes and now we got to face Lynn Williams with tired legs. So I think it's a great role for her, you know, and I, I feel like she will get opportunities there for some reason. I just think she will. Uh, but I think the biggest thing for me about the Olympics is the maturity of the midfield. I feel like in the last World Cup, they weren't mature enough. And I feel like this extra year has done Haran, Rose Lavelle, Sam Mewis, and Juliet's the world of good because I feel like they've matured 
into the best midfield in the world. And I think that was the one thing lacking on the previous stewardship was the midfield quality of the midfield. I feel like now they have the best midfield in the world. And uh, I feel like that group is young. They've got a World Cup in them, probably another Olympics in them. Uh, so I feel like that's the, the heart and soul of the team. And it's great to see Christy Mewis added to that group because that is a special group of five players. And I don't think you find five better players in the world, to be perfectly honest with you. And I think their maturity and how much they've improved and the form that they're all in is great for everyone to see. As long as Ertz gets healthy for the knockout stages, I think it'd be massive for, for the team going to the Olympics. And we know the defense is set. They've had the same four defenders back there pretty much every game. You just mentioned the midfielders. Then you look at the forwards, including Lynn Williams, as somebody that maybe will make a, a you know an 18 on some of those games. I mean, how do you make those decisions or does it even matter, Paul? Do, or do you look at who you're playing on, whether you go with Carly or Alex or go with Megan or Tobin and press seems to score every game now. I mean, how do you decide who those three are? Man, what a luxury, right? <laughs> what a luxury. Kristen Press in great form. I mean, Carly Lord is the best I've ever seen her, 39 years of age. Man, God bless her. She, you got to give her hats off to her. She's in the best form. She ripped us apart in the Challenge Cup up in, in Gotham. I mean, she was just first class, man. And what a player, what a competitor. I mean, she can score with her head. She can she can shoot both feet. She can link players in, and and she knows how to win. Man, she's she's got that touch to her. And Alex Morgan is probably in the best form she's been in a long time. She hasn't done well in club level for a long, long time. And to see her doing well at club level, got to bode well for the national team. So there's your two nines. You've got Tobin Heath back to full health. Looked great this weekend, and I think she'll just play herself into the tournament and, and be really dangerous in the tournament. And then you've still got, you know, Crystal Dunn playing left back in case you've got to throw her up front. You can still throw Lindsay around up front if you really need her. And Kristen Press is going to score for fun at the Olympics. I mean, she's just in, I mean, I've always rated Kristen Press as probably the number one. And you know what? Megan Rapino came on for 25 minutes in Seattle against us and she ripped us apart. She ripped us apart. I said to Pino after the game, man, you can still play so well and she's got so many pieces to her. And, you know, those set pieces become valuable as the tournament goes on and she's the great deliverer of the ball and, we're great in the air, aren't we, Juliet? And, and people like that, it just, Lindsay around know how to get on the end of crosses. So they've got so much depth. And ultimately, at the end of the day, the depth is going to win the Olympics for them. You can't play every two days, three days, and play the same lineup. And when you go through that list of players, I think he's made a good decision taking the players he's taken. Uh, I think Mitch Pearce would have been probably one that I think would be disappointed to miss out. I think she could have gone. But that team is stacked full of players. I mean, let's be fair, the two fullbacks played uh, attacking uh, or front in college. So they could play. They let O'Hara and Crystal Dunn. You could throw them up high and go to six up front for all they care. And they're listening. They're a great team. They've got everyone's in great form. I think the only really person who's not in great form is probably the goalkeeper listening there. And she'll play herself into great form. She's a fantastic goalkeeper. And I think in our league, she's been a little bit off, you know, but that could be because she's, she's saving it for the Olympics. I don't know, but uh, I think she'll be able to play herself. In, and I think you'll see the best of her come the knockout stages. But yeah, they got some team. And that's going to be difficult to beat them. On the, on the two, three days rest, continually through the tournament, you can make six, seven changes and still be just as good. There's no difference between them, to be honest with you. Indeed, that could help as they work their way into the knockout part of it as well. Let's end with this, uh, Paul Riley. And this one's a little bit tougher, but you know, you've seen Vlatko leave. You've seen Laura leave. Now you know Mark Parsons is also going to leave. I've often called you, and I know you roll your eyes at me, the best women's pro soccer coach out there. What about uh, if a national team calls you, Paul? Like, uh, What are you thinking about that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it would be a great to do a national team job. The negative for me about national team job is I love the the uh, the nuts and bolts and being on the field and developing players and being around players day in, day out and doing training sessions. And I think training for me is, is huge, you know, and at the national team level, there's a lot less training. 
and a, a lot more of going to watch games and recruiting and watching opposition and stuff like that. And that's not the thing I love the most. I love the nuts and bolts the most. So that's the only negative for me going to the national team game. I love the option uh, opportunity at some point. But right now, I love I love being on the field with the players. I love doing what we do every day. And now that I got a new right hip, it's even better, you know. So I really enjoy being on the field. And if there was more training in, in an environment, national team level, I'd be up for that more. But obviously, is and there's FIFA dates. They're already set. And, but I think Mark's decided. I think for him, it's closer to to Europe and closer to England for his family. That's a big move for Vladko. Obviously, it was an easy ascension. He likes that type of thing. He he's a little bit more of the methodical type that likes to watch and likes to uh, do tactical stuff and watch teams play and do all that. And I think that's why we're in a better position than we are in the previous Olympics or the previous World Cup, because he's a smart guy. He understands the game. He understands opponents. He understands the tactical element. And you know, there's training. There's limited training that you can do. And so it's a matter of hope and the, the, the league has got all their players in the best possible form. And from looking around the league, most of the coaches have done a good job getting their players ready. So that's why it's exciting. But yeah, thanks, Dean, for that. And hopefully someday uh, we'll, we'll go in that direction. But I still love to coach the club for quite a while yet, to be honest with you. Well, we love seeing you on the sideline for the North Carolina Courage. Paul Riley, thanks for returning on the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. It's always a pleasure, sir. Thanks, Dean. Good luck to all the coaches out there. Good luck indeed, and thank you to all of our guests. Also want to thank Sean Chevro, Jonas Worth, Bailey Conklin, and all the great people at United Soccer Coaches. For each and every one of them and all of you, I'm Dean Linky. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Thanks for listening to the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. To learn more, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org and teamsnap.com.